0: Well, welcome back to another episode of Living the Abundant Way podcast. This is a place for all women to feel empowered, to find hope and joy in the everyday life, to be a part of a community of women just like you in pursuit for their purpose, calling, inspiration, and creativity, to feel heard and seen and know no matter the hard days, no matter the battle you were in, you are loved and divinely intended on this earth. 60% of our generation is seeking spiritual guidance, and I've seen in my own life the Spirit guide me and anoint my mouth with edification and encouragement for others. I'm excited to share with you more in the prophetic, the power of being Spirit-led to revive those dry places and see the women in this area come back to life. Women who are seeking their dreams and knowing that they were created for more than just getting through the everyday. I'm going to be bringing you educational episodes on how we as women need balance, organization and structure to grow our capacity as homemakers, entrepreneurs and mothers. Wherever you are on the journey, there is so much gold inside you and whether it's just taking that courage to step out into it, awakening the gifts that are inside you or learning to manage and balance more so you can step into all without lacking anything. I wanna see the entrepreneur and working mother able to flourish in all her dreams, her calling and her career while feeling present in the home and able to balance both. I wanna see women discover more practical ways to save time, save money and increase rest. If we've learned anything in the last two years, it's rest, family, health and your purpose. May these episodes educate, support, empower, inspire and lift your eyes to see what's possible that you may know you can live the limitless life and achieve your wildest dreams. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I cannot wait to hear from you. Please send me a DM over at Living the Abundant Way anytime you feel inspired. If you have a moment to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review, that would be so incredible. I'm so excited for today's episode with Marika. I've been wanting to do this episode for so long. So if you've been on my Instagram page and you're like, yes, Caitlin, you've been literally saying you're going to do this episode for like four months. Yes, probably even longer, five months. I'm so sorry, but everything comes in the right time. And I actually feel like this episode's going to land at the right time. We've just come out of a very heavy, um, sick winter season. And I feel like people are coming into summer, they're getting their hope back, their inspiration, and then knowing that what took place this winter was actually really ridiculously crazy, and you may even still be suffering the burden of what that six season with your children actually did to your family. But a little bit about America, uh, so you can actually understand why I'm just so in awe of her. She's a holistic dietitian, a nutritionist, and a functional medicine practitioner with extensive knowledge and over 15 years of experience in her field. She's worked as a holistic dietitian in the Netherlands, India, and Sydney. And now she has a practice in Melbourne for the past eight years. And she consults um, interstate and internationally via phone and Skype. So she's very passionate about identifying and addressing the root cause of health issues, offering a non a no-nonsense, fad-free, evidence-based, honest, and informative approach to achieving health and well-being. She's, of course, got her bachelor's degree in nutrition and dietetics from the University of Hague of the Netherlands and completed the ADAPT Functional Medicine Training through the Crescent Institute in the USA. She's also a GAPS practitioner and a MIND practitioner and holds a certificate in Sports Nutrition and Sports Dietitians Australia. She's literally the bee's knees. She's absolutely incredible. I don't even know how I have access to someone so beautiful and so passionate about the gut with endless hope. Um, she literally shows you anyone has the opportunity to heal their gut. It's never too late, even if you're 80 or 90. She is full of wisdom and knowledge and kindness. But most of all, she brings such a warmth and love that anyone on any point on their journey on the health um spectrum will feel safe and welcomed and not judged or criticized. She literally just feels like you're having a beautiful cup of tea with an incredible person, yet she's just full of excellence and wisdom and knowledge. So this episode is really, really big on my heart because I wanted to see the level of freedom that our families walked in through healing our gut for other women and to not see you have to take all of your sick days off because your kids were just inundated and to see repeat scripts of antibiotics because you feel like you're at your end and you don't know what to do. Um, the toiling and anxiety that being up all night and losing sleep with six kids can do. And I just, I know, I know how hard that can be being a hospital mum for the first year of um, my son's life. I know how draining that can be. And I actually don't believe that's the life we're called to. All for our kids. So, if you had a really hard time with your kids this season, I'm really sorry. Um, I know how hard it can be. And I just hope this episode brings you so much hope and that you're able to take some action in your family today. All right, let's get in the episode with Marika. Welcome, Marika. Thank you so much for being back on the podcast. It's been, oh, it's probably been like over a year and a half since you've been on the podcast and we discussed babies' first foods. So, welcome. Thank you.
1: Thanks again for having me back. Excited to be on your podcast again, and particularly with this topic, which is a real passion of mine.
0: Yes, yeah, so good. Okay, well, let's just start off with two, just kind of, you know, random, fun, fucked, questions. What is a favorite food of yours that's maybe not necessarily super healthy? Because everyone assumes that, you know, dietitians and into holistic health only eat 100% healthy all the time. So what's one of your like cheeky, fun foods you love to go and eat with the kids or something?
1: Yeah, well, it's not a food I get to eat often because it's a very traditional Dutch kind of plump almond-filled cookie. So it's called in Dutch, it's called a gefildecook. So I'm originally from Holland, but grew up mostly in Australia. And there's this bakery in a little village outside of Amsterdam where my dad grew up. And this bakery has been around since 1897. So it's a really old bakery. And they make the most amazing cook or almond-filled cookies with the most beautiful, fresh ingredients. And whenever we we're in Holland, we just I have to go there we go out of, our way, out of our way to go there and indulge in multiple of these cookies and they're not necessarily really unhealthy they don't have you know industrial seed oils or anything but they do have quite a bit of sugar so it's not something you want to eat every day but Going there and eating that is so nostalgic because it's something I did throughout my childhood whenever we went to visit my family there. And now it's really special for my boys as well. So they really love it. So that is my favorite indulgence, but I don't get to do it as often as I would like.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, when we were just in the Netherlands, I've forgotten what they're called. They're literally like a wafer, but they're covered
1: in caramel. Oh, so powerful. Oh, they are amazing too, actually. Yes, the Dutch are very good with their sweets, actually. They do have one of the highest rates of sugar consumption in Europe, though. So it's not great. You know, they put chocolate sprinkles on their bread. That's what a lot of kids take to school. So it's it's a little bit problematic, but they do do sweet things very, very well.
0: Yeah, one of the families we stayed with, they found me a gluten and dairy-free version Oh, and wow. they are so sickly sweet. Like it actually burnt my mouth, but you get so <laughs> addicted. This yeah. waferly, caramelly biscuity thing. And I literally ate like a whole packet Because yeah. <laughs> like, I never eat that sort of stuff. And I'm like, what is this? And they eat them every day. Like that's like breakfast for them for some people. I know. It's a bit, it's, it's a bit strange. a little
1: bit too indulgent,
0: yeah. But <laughs> they are very
1: really good. And for,
0: for an occasional treat. and what's just like a funny random fun fact about yourself that you can share that maybe people maybe don't know or would think
1: well I mean I love traveling and immersing myself in different cultures and my husband and I actually spent a year and a half living in India and I worked there as a volunteer dietitian at a hospital and also in the community so yeah that that's I guess a little interesting fact hopefully I'm really hoping to to be able to go back there sometime to work again in the future but maybe when my boys are a little bit older and it's always a bit of a tricky place to go in terms of preserving your gut health when you know we lived there for a year and a half and even though we were super careful with what we ate inevitably every couple of weeks we'd end up on the toilet with the rungs so challenge gut health wise
0: (laughs) oh I so know my husband has a real passion for India he's done mission trips and stuff there and sports hospitals there and he loves India so like he would love to go but the same thing I keep thinking What am I going to eat with all my food intelligence? Am I going to eat curry every morning for breakfast? Like you have to brace yourself because it's such a different culture. And uh, yeah, I think about the water and all that sort of stuff. So we're very blessed here. (laughs) So anyway, more into the the serious chat, which is why I was just so desperate to get you on (laughs) being so passionate about gut health, but also you always come at the gut or approach the gut with so much love and deep belief that all people's guts can be repaired with time and consistency and knowledge even you know you'll say how you've even got a client that's in their 80s and you've you've worked with them in their gut and anything is possible basically you've got a limitless perspective to gut health which for me is very comforting And I think brings a lot of hope for mothers, particularly Mm -hmm. children, which is why I got you on after such, I guess I can say, a harsh winter with flus and bugs and just lots of things going around and was obviously elevated post a isolation period where we didn't come into contact with germs barely at all for two years, particularly you guys in Victoria. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, just to really create some like, you know, just some legitimate education around the overuse of antibiotics, what we can do when antibiotics have actually been used more frequently than just once or even once for mummers with their kids and some signs to know when the gut has been affected by antibiotics. We're just going to dive into all of that sort of stuff. But first off, I think this is such an important question, maybe a bit controversial so you answer (laughs) how you like, But for me, I just remember growing up, even as like a young girl, and anytime there was something wrong, I would go to the doctor because that's just what I thought we were meant to do. And they would literally give me antibiotics. And I even remember one time a doctor saying to me, I'll give you these antibiotics because you've come to me because you want something. They're probably not going to do anything, but you can take them anyway. Like he actually said that to me, but I was like 15. I didn't know how to process that information. I just thought I better do something because I'm sick and I've got to go to school or whatever was going on at the time. So can you share a little bit about why do doctors (laughs) over-prescribe antibiotics so much and actually, yeah. it doesn't even do that much in most situations.
1: Yeah. So I think particularly in the past, it's always been the case of let's just cover all basis and be risk averse. So I think that's why they often prescribed it. But over the years, of course, we've really come to understand more about the risks of taking antibiotics. These risks weren't really known so much previously. And so now fortunately things are improving and antibiotics are no longer as over-prescribed as they were in the past. Having said that, however, it's still a big problem and there's still a long way to go. But there are more and more doctors that are taking the let's wait and see approach. And if you have a GP that does that, hold on to that GP. If you have a GP that just prescribes them willy-nilly, then it's you know worthwhile looking elsewhere, perhaps, and getting a second opinion. But the great thing is that, you know, even in Even the CDC, Center for Disease Control in the USA, is now recommending against the kind of broad spectrum prescription of antibiotics, particularly for things like ear infections and, of course, colds and flus, which are viral, not bacterial. Obviously, there are ear infections that can be bacterial, but the majority are viral. So there are actually clear statements that do advise against the use of antibiotics, in these cases but it doesn't always trickle down to each individual GP so it's really you have to be an adv- advocate for your own health and for your children's health but really do ask the questions and if you're not happy with the advice that the GP gives then you know there are a lot of amazing GPs out there that you can see and who might you know give more of that wait and see approach that is being advocated.
0: Yeah it's interesting you brought up the ear thing because when i first approached you about the loose stool that my son was having post taking a round of antibiotics for what we do believe legitimately was an ear infection based on his grommets getting wet which is something that can happen with children with grommets and I remember you saying to me how quickly did you respond to the antibiotics? And I said, extremely quickly, like he actually had, you know, discharge coming out of the ears. So it was very clear. That was a clear indicator there was an infection going on and it cleared up almost straight away, which is a sign the antibiotics took effect. They were yeah. fighting the infection. It wasn't viral and it was just what it had to be done. You know, we have to make these decisions as mothers. They're obviously in pain. And mm-hmm. then got me thinking, oh, imagine how many kids get, you know, prescribed antibiotics for a viral and there's actually nothing bacterial going on in their ears and they're just taking antibiotics for no reason. I know so many kids that have had rounds of things going on with their ears and mums literally toil over, should I give them the antibiotic, should I not? And it's actually really distressing because yeah. you're constantly trying to weigh up the pros and cons and more times than not, you probably think, I'll just do it just to be safe. I'll just do it just in case but the doctor hasn't really given much guidance or wisdom on whether it is bacterial or it is viral.
1: Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, the most common type of ear infection is a middle ear infection and most middle ear infections are actually caused by a virus. And the virus is something that the body's immune system can fight off in its on its own without the need for antibiotics. So many GPs now recommend kind of a watchful waiting period before prescribing antibiotics. So you might go to the GP and they'll give them give the parents a script and say, well, let's just wait and see. So under this watchful waiting approach, doctors are supposed to, in theory, re-examine the child a few days later to see if the infection is getting better. And if it's not, then antibiotics may be prescribed But, you know, in most children, the pain caused by middle ear infection only lasts 24 to 48 hours and starting antibiotics doesn't actually change how bad the pain is or how long it lasts. Antibiotics also don't decrease the rate of complications of ear infections, nor do they actually reduce reinfection. So no matter what the cause of ear infections most ear infections do go away on their own and it was actually in a 2011 I believe clinical trial University of Pittsburgh researchers actually reported that 74 percent of children under two who were suffering from ear infections got better after one week when they weren't given any treatment so this goes to show you know so it's it's really you know keeping a watchful eye if symptoms don't improve if pain doesn't reduce and 24 to 48 hours if a child develops a much higher fever than you typically see with a virus or you know if they're vomiting or or if there is pus coming out of the ear and those kind of things that's definitely then indicative of perhaps bacterial and the need for antibiotics but but otherwise you know the body is is the immune system is pretty amazing and it does a very good job of fighting off these ear infections particularly the middle ear infections caused by viruses by themselves so the key for parents is to really, you know, it, it, have that watchful approach and and ask their doctor questions, you know, what are the signs I need to look for if it could perhaps become bacterial and, and you know, what at what fever temperature do I need to be worried? Those kind of questions are really important to ask and then just keep a really close watchful eye on your child.
0: Yeah, wow. <clears throat> and I wonder how many times, you know, kids have a, cough or kids have a runny nose or a sore e, or you know what are the other things kids commonly get you know we get concerned when they have like certain types of shallow breathing they're all the things we start to look out for but I'm I feel like more times than not antibiotics actually don't do much for those particular symptoms unless it's like a deep chest infection or like what a really, really bad case of, even if they have tonsillitis, I don't even really think antibiotics do that much, do they?
1: And particularly, you know, in the recent past, obviously we've had a lot of respiratory issues going around and they are viral. So, you know, again, I've ha- i had a lot of clients who were prescribed antibiotics because the virus just lingered around a little bit longer, but it's that's not because it's, it's you know, a bacteria that's causing the virus. It's just that the immune system hasn't been able to fight it as effectively, just needs a little bit more time and you need to put a little bit more perhaps effort into supporting the immune system because taking antibiotics when they're not warranted is actually going to compromise the immune system even further and it creates this very vicious cycle. So yeah, but that I've had so many clients, you know, this winter in Australia being prescribed themselves or for their children antibiotics for, you know, RSV or other viral infections that are not bacterial and they would have, You know, and actually starting the antibiotics, their symptoms didn't improve any faster than had they not. It still lingered on because it wasn't actually the the bacterial. So again, it's asking questions of the GP and doing as much as possible to support your immune system so your body can do what it does best, and that's fight viruses.
0: Yeah, wow, and it's I even felt super like what's the word like to re even educate myself with kids and like temperatures and fevers and there's a lot of fear around fevers and I feel like you know obviously when little newborns or very small babies you know get fevers that obviously is quite dangerous but I think once we move into like toddlers and older children I'm even realizing how much I can sometimes want to reach for the Panadol and like actually he's just fighting something off with his natural body it never goes beyond a temperature that's so dangerous I have to rush him to the ER It's just his body trying to fight something off. I think it was my chiropractor. She's like, I've always just stripped the kids off because they're still young and just put them up against my body and slept with them naked all night with them up against my body and their temperatures re-regulated with her and they fought off whatever they needed to fight off. And if Mm -hmm. she ever felt like they got super, super, super hot, you know, she checked their temperature, but she's like, no times did she ever actually have to like rush them to ER because it was like a horrific fever that was, you know, dangerous. More times than not, they'll just fought something off. Their body got through it. And she didn't even require all, And no. that was like really interesting for me because she said they weren't actually in pain. It wasn't mm-hmm. that they broke their leg or broke their arm or, you know, something was deeply cut or wounded. It was just literally their body fighting whatever it was, their immune system. And yeah, I'm sure you'd be able to explain that the body spikes when it's trying to fight things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's such an amazing, you know, mechanism. I think we sometimes take for granted all these little things that our body does to keep us as healthy and happy as possible. And if we start interfering with that, we actually, you know, compromise our body's own ability to do what it naturally does really well. So, you know, sometimes there is definitely need for it. But I think generally speaking, we really need to let the body do its thing to help us rather than try to interfere
0: yeah wow so when there is situations or maybe even for the mums out there that have had to use antibiotics for their children for whatever reason what what have I written here what actually happens to antibiotics in our gut? So my my most simplest way of understanding it is it blows up the bad stuff and it blows up the good stuff. <laughs>
1: but yes. explain that more. <laughs> That's right. It's kind of like a nuclear bomb for the gut, really. Antibiotics don't discriminate between good or bad bacteria. They just kill off everything. And it can actually take an adult with a healthy balance of bacteria up to six to 12 months to restore that balance after one course of antibiotics. And, you know, the the, the issue with antibiotics is that studies show, particularly in children, that the impact of the antibiotics on the gut bacteria may be directly or indirectly related to higher rates of inflammatory bowel disease, of asthma, of allergies, of eczema. So there are a lot of consequences of antibiotic use. And, you know, the common side effects are particularly, for example, when children are given antibiotics for ear infections, studies have shown the common side effects are diarrhea, vomiting, and skin rashes. So if you can avoid, if, you know, if the antibiotics aren't necessary, you're actually avoiding your child's Getting these symptoms, which can sometimes persist for quite some time. So, you know, some of these symptoms, unless you actually address the gut post antibiotics, can actually continue for months, if not years. So, they do really have a significant impact on the microbiome, hence why we do need to tread carefully and not overuse them. But that's not just with, you know, antibiotics that we take as a prescription, but also antibiotic residues and foods and this is why it's really important to be aware of what you're eating because many of us actually get antibiotics through our food supply without really knowing it and it has a similar effect so if we're eating you know if we go out to kfc and have some chicken there that that chicken will have antibiotic residue which will have an effect on our gut microbiome and i think that's what a lot of people don't realize that it's not just the antibiotics that are prescribed but the antibiotics in our food supply through the meat and animal products we eat but also actually through fruits and vegetables because they also often have antibiotic residue from the herbicides and pesticides and so forth so a lot of people think well if I'm vegetarian or vegan I'll avoid antibiotics in my food but that's also not necessarily the case so that's a whole nother yeah (laughs) a whole nother can of worms to unpack but yeah it's not just prescription medications it's our food supply as well and obviously particularly over the last two years all those antibacterial hand wipes and washes and gels and antibacterial cleaning products and they're also going to have an impact not just on the bacteria in our skin but also on the gut because they can permeate through the skin and affect the gut microbiome as well
0: yeah. And, and that's obviously why we want to be washing our fruits and vegetables, you know, buying organic when we can, particularly if you don't buy organic, to be properly washing your fruits and vegetables and not just with water, because that's not strong enough, using a proper solution, a safe solution. I know we've talked before as well about buying, you know, organic meat yeah. and trying to avoid that, you know, highly processed meat to yeah be avoiding those those food sources that could be contaminated yeah. and i'm al- also i'm thinking our water supply and how much sprays and things go into our water supply or the fact that you know our water supply the sanitation process we're not even sure like excre- like excrement what is it Excreting? like our poo and wee and all of those things yeah. where the antibiotics actually come out of, which is actually affecting our water supply, our sea ocean, all of those types of yeah. things as well. So yeah, the, yeah, they're my three big things. Good meat, yeah. good
1: fruit and veg, washing my fruit and veg in filtered water. <laughs> and water. Because, you know, chlorine is put in the water supply to prevent the growth of bacteria so if we're drinking a lot of chlorinated water it's going to have a similar effect in our gut it's going to destroy some of those good bacteria so yeah definitely filtering out chlorine and fluoride of course is is another really important one but there are lots of of steps that you can you know implement over time and you know there, there's the list the environmental working group in the u.s puts out a list every year of the dirty dozens so and the 12 most highly sprayed crops and if people just avoid those or purchase the organic equivalents, they can minimize their exposure to herbicides and pesticides by as much as 90%, which is pretty amazing. So, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I, I just don't have the budget to buy everything organic, but it's actually not necessary to buy everything organic. Look at what you're where you're sourcing your meat and your animal products. And grass fed is much more important than organic when it comes to animal-based foods. And then fruits and vegetables, just look at the dirty dozen list and prioritize the Dirty dozen in terms of switching to organic varieties, and then you know even just a cheap Brita water filter will at least filter out most of the chlorine. So you don't necessarily have to go and spend hundreds of dollars to get a full you know water filter system.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. it's a process, isn't it? Just awareness, yeah, education, really and start taking a few small steps. Like yeah, yeah. getting a, a, a water filter is like a great first step. well healing the gut but also just like feeling vibrant and yeah reducing further damage but for those that need to take antibiotics right it does happen i've always heard there's been such a debate between be taking the probiotics and having the yogurt with the antibiotic during the course of the antibiotics and then other people have said to me there's no point doing it because it's just going to kill everything that you put in there anyway you should complete the course of your antibiotics and then start with the yoga and the probiotics and all of that so what's your theory on it?
1: Yeah well there have been quite a few randomized placebo-controlled studies that have actually demonstrated the effectiveness of taking probiotics during a course of antibiotics, particularly for reducing the side effects of antibiotics. So antibiotics, typical side effects include antibiotic-associated diarrhea, skin rashes can be another one, nausea. There are quite a lot of side effects. And these studies do demonstrate that taking probiotics during taking a course of antibiotics can be helpful, but obviously you'd want to take the probiotics away from the antibiotics. That's where it's really key. So if you took them together, the antibiotics would just kill off the probiotics. So you want to take them well away from each other. And that's when they can be helpful. The most helpful strain I find, which I recommend for young and old, so it's appropriate even for infants, is actually not a bacteria, but it's a yeast called Saccharomyces boulardii. And Saccharomyces boulardii is actually a non-colonizing yeast but it has a really positive effect when it it passes through the gut. So it has this amazing transient effect when it passes through the gut. And it's a a probiotic strain that's been shown to help reduce antibiotic-associated diarrhea and particularly also to help reduce candida or yeast because antibiotics kill bacteria, but they don't touch yeast. So when you have antibiotics, yeast just have a party. They just keep on thriving. They're like top of the food chain. Nothing kills them. That's why so many people have issues with yeast because they just keep having this opportunity to thrive because we do a lot to kill the bacteria that normally keep the yeast in check. But we also do an awful lot to feed the yeast because they love sugar and carbohydrate, and most of us eat a lot of sugar and carbohydrate. So we're basically providing an all-you-can-eat buffet constantly for these yeast species to thrive. So Saccharomyces boulardii has actually been shown to help suppress opportunistic or pathogenic yeast, but also to reduce antibiotic-associated diarrhea. So that's a strain that I often do recommend during antibiotic treatment. And as I said, it's even appropriate for uh, uh, young children. And there's lots of different brands. I mean, a really common brand that you could get from most pharmacies and health food stores is the Bioceticals SB Fluoractive. So it's not one you have to specially order online and that would take forever because, you know, normally when someone takes antibiotics, it's a last minute, oh, oh, I have to take antibiotics. So then you can just go to your local pharmacy or health food store and, and purchase that one, for example. So that's one that I often recommend during and then After, I mean, I definitely think that the best way to repopulate the gut after a course of antibiotics is through fermented foods, because fermented foods contain vastly more strains of bacteria than a probiotic supplement would. But obviously not every child is going to happily take to sauerkraut or kimchi or beet kvass or even kefir. Um, And yogurt doesn't have, I mean, commercial yogurts don't really have a huge amount of the good bacteria, so it's not going to be as beneficial. Um, So, you know, if if your child has never been exposed to fermented foods and really doesn't like fermented foods, then perhaps taking a multi-strain probiotic after having a course of antibiotics could be helpful. Um, And most of those multi-strains will contain several lactobacillus and several bifidobacteria species. Um, But really, you know, the most the most important thing is to increase prebiotics. So prebiotics are actually much much more effective at promoting the growth of beneficial bacteria in the gut um, than probiotic than taking a probiotic supplement. So um, this is where you know it's really important that during antibiotic treatment and particularly post antibiotic treatment your children have plenty of prebiotic rich foods and most prebiotic rich foods are vegetables. And I know, again, that's a bit of a stretch for some kids. So any which way you can get vegetables into them, but particularly vegetables high in soluble fiber, because um, vegetables that are high in soluble fiber are are, are just more gentle on the digestive system. So after a course of antibiotics, you know, digestion does get affected Um, you know the the, not only do antibiotics affect your gut flora but the gut lining and digestive function as a whole take a hit as well so having easy to digest food or during and especially post-antibiotic treatment and foods rich in soluble fiber provide those prebiotics but also in a very easy to digest really gentle way so examples um that are often quite kid-friendly that a lot of kids like are. uh, root tubers like sweet potato and carrot. I mean, a lot of kids, most kids actually do, in my experience, like sweet potato and carrot. And beetroot is amazing because so those nice starchy vegetables that are rich in the soluble fibers. And then um, you know, swedes, turnips are great. Zucchinis, particularly peeled, if they if they um, do have diarrhea. Um, white potatoes in moderation are also good. Um, And then resistant starches in particular. So resistant starches are insoluble fiber, but they're easier to digest insoluble fiber. And resistant starch is like a super fertilizer for the good bacteria. So um, that's things like, for example, cooked and cooled white rice. So a lot of kids like white rice. If you cook it and then cool it in the fridge for 24 hours, All of the starch, which would potentially feed opportunistic species, becomes resistant starch, which is like this fertilizer for the good bacteria. So something like a rice porridge for breakfast where you get the cooked and cooled rice, warm it up with a little bit of coconut milk, for example, and serve it with lots of berries, for example, is an amazing antioxidant rich, prebiotic rich because berries are high in prebiotics breakfast option or you could do some you know for a lunch or a dinner some fried rice so you could get cooked and cooled rice and then add for example green peas which a lot of kids love which is a great source of resistant starch and some carrot for the inside for the soluble fibers and any other little vegetables that they like and maybe some chicken and soups are great because as i mentioned when antibiotics affect antibiotics not only affect the gut bacteria but also the gut lining And so that's where bone broth is so wonderful because bone broth really helps soothe the digestive tract and really helps to improve the integrity of the gut line that can be affected after a course of antibiotics. So pumpkin soup, um, vegetable soup, chicken soup, any kind of soup, whichever way you can get that into your child. If your child hates soup, but loves smoothies, you can actually freeze bone broth and add some frozen cubes into a smoothie or just blend it up with maybe a little bit of berries or. A tiny bit of banana and make like an icy pole or something like that so bone broth is really really key resistant starches so cooked and cooled white rice cooked and cooled potato green peas cooked and cooled lentils so that's always great to add into a soup so they're great sources of resistant starch and then those soluble fibers from all those beautiful root tubers so that's those foods are really going to help feed those good bacteria which have been really depleted Um, due to that cause of antibiotics and that's actually more important than just relying on a probiotic because a lot of people they'll give their they themselves or they'll give their children a probiotic but they'll continue you know to eat as per usual which generally speaking you know only 6% of Australian adults actually eat the recommended amount of vegetables and for children that's even less so we do a pretty dismal job of actually getting prebiotics in our diet so you could be pumping all the probiotics that you want but unless you're having those prebiotics and your child is having those prebiotics you're not going to get the same benefit so diet Dietary strategies are so much more important than the supplement side of things. Um, And that's really important for people to be aware of because I think we kind of get into this habit, like, oh, if we just take this probiotic, it'll solve everything, but it's just one little piece of the puzzle. The other really important thing is obviously when antibiotics are suppressed, yeasts can thrive, but also opportunistic bacteria that are more antibiotic resistant can thrive.
0: Isn't she just, wow. This is why I wanted to bring her back on the podcast for a second episode. After my own consultations with Marika as a family, um, I've seen radical improvement in our gut, our life, our lifestyle, our food philosophy. It's literally changed the course of the way we see our bodies and our immune system. And for the rest of the episode, we're going to really dive deep into why Marika is so passionate about food is medicine and food is a great tool in our arsenal to heal our bodies was already laid on the foundations of earth. You know, food has been there since the start of time. Like food was always the original source to nourish our body. And unfortunately, it has been tampered with, which is why we've increased the use of supplementation. Um, And we've tried to go back to eating as organic as we can and um, sourcing those fruits and vegetables with the most minerals in it that's lacking in conventional fruit and vegetables. But, you know, you need to be cooking and putting that fruit and vegetable into meals. Like so many of us don't have... The interest or the time or the capacity to just sit and graze all day like a cow on fruit and vegetables. (laughs) Yes, that may be a great life for some, and if you can do that, that is incredible. But the real truth is, we need to jam pack meals, family favorite meals, with the most amount of vegetables we possibly can into every bite. And that's what I've been doing since my son was a little boy. I have been literally packing as many fruits and vegetables into. Every spoonful. And as you know, when they start solids, they don't eat very many spoonfuls. So you better make sure those spoonfuls are packed. If you've got a toddler, they can get pretty dang fussy about what they eat. So I make sure our slow cook and family favorite meals, our bolognese, our soups, everything that he eats is jam packed with fruits and vegetables. Now, if cooking is something that has really overwhelmed you or been weighty for you or has not brought you joy at all. I seriously want to encourage you to check out the link in my bio um, and take some considerate thought into revolutionizing the way that your family cooks, cleans, and organizes. I have created a very unique three-in-one method that I've drawn from my years of motherhood, um, being in and out of hospitality, and just my natural talent to see the bigger picture and the vision and incredible detail to saving time I'm all about time saving hacks um, efficiency not double handling I believe there is truly a better way to do everything that we do um, that creates much more freedom in our life and that is what my three-in-one method is so I teach the theory in my home detox project course which is now live and the doors are open as well as teach the actual practicalities of what it looks like to cook in your kitchen. So you basically get a live call with me cooking in your kitchen step by step. And I also run through how to cut fruits and vegetables, how to use your knives, my favorite utensils, how to set up your kitchen, where to place your bin. You'll actually visually see me in action, not just the practical. So I'm very passionate about not creating another blog, not creating another recipe Although all of those things are incredible and I admire recipe creators so much, there is so many recipes out there already, honestly. I love it, but we don't need another recipe. We need women to learn and men to learn how to cook multiple dishes at once and meal prep, meal plan, learn how to create a shopping route. Use a consistent shopping list, plan out when you're cooking in your week and match your schedule to the realisticness of being in the kitchen while decreasing your pack down time and your cleanup time. I don't like to spend more than 12 minutes cleaning my kitchen after every single time I cook. For some of you like, that's not possible. That's ridiculous. You bet your bottom dollar it is. I do it every single night. And to be honest, most nights, it's less than six minutes because I pack as I go, I clean as I go, and my cooking space stays in a very controlled area. So I just really want to encourage you with that. If you're listening to this and you're like, I want to heal my family's gut, I want to do what Marika is saying, but I actually don't know how to do that in the kitchen, my course is literally going to be perfect for you. So jump in the show notes. I'm going to be running free live masterclasses on Thursdays right up until the course launches in literally two weeks. So you're going to want to make sure you jump on that. And I've only got three spots left for the next three people who join to get all my hard copy resources mailed Australia-wide, which is my Home Detox Project Directory, which is jam-packed with stuff and my two recipe books. So you're going to want to jump in and be a part of that too. But let's get back into the rest of the episode with Marie.
1: All of those opportunistic species thrive on sugar and carbohydrate. So, after a course of, well, during and after a course of antibiotics, the last thing you want to do is fuel all those opportunistic species by having lots of sugar and carbohydrate. So, I know a lot of parents, after their children have been sick, their children, you know, they just crave sweets and you want to comfort them by giving them sweet foods, but that's actually going to make matters much worse for them in terms of their gut or health. So, toast. Yeah. So it's really important, as difficult as it sometimes can be, to be quite strict and really cut those sugars and carbohydrates. Out if possible obviously you know carbohydrates like vegetables are great but I wouldn't be doing breakfast cereals and bread and cookies and cakes really just relying on whole foods as much as possible and definitely cutting out refined sugars a bit of local raw honey or a manica honey which has antimicrobial and probiotic and prebiotic properties would be okay and some fruit of course but you know no cookies and biscuits and cakes and things with sugar because it really is just gonna fuel those opportunistic bacteria. Yeah. So that's the key. Yeah.
0: I love that you I love everything you said. You know I love everything you say. But that yeah one thing we've been doing a lot of is is soups because I can get a lot of things into soups and I've actually been using the soups as a sauce. So right. I've yeah. put a packed chicken broth vegetable herb soup. I poured it over rice and put it oh, through amazing. the rice and yeah. he thought he was having his rice with his roasted sweet potato and a bit of meat, steak, because he loves meat, but he actually was having, I don't know, I think I counted like four or five tablespoons of soup, which actually is a lot of variety of vegetables yeah. for one meal for a child that he honestly would not sit and eat a steam bowl of vegetables, right? Yeah, um, And it's packed with flavor and broth and it wasn't a fight. And the other thing I do is I actually pour soup over pasta instead of like a pasta sauce. And then even if he yeah. wants a little bit of cheese, but you know, you can do a green one, like the green machine or the Hulk mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, kids love. But I find I can get so many more vegetables in my my personal goal is to try and get vegetables in two meals a day that's my like little goal
1: yeah Um,
0: and I let things go sometimes for breakfast (laughs) because I'm like you can't win every meal but I feel like if I get two meals in a day like uh, I do lots of slow cooked things because I find all the vegetables Mm -hmm. go quite mushy with the meat he doesn't pick things out as much as when it's like a stir fry with chunky broccoli or something anyway I've just been trying to get really creative with ways Um, there's like two food philosophies I've seen lots of food philosophies where it's like just keep putting it on their plate which I keep trying to do but what I've found with that food philosophy is yes eventually they do end up maybe in the vegetables but there's this gap in time for quite a few years where they don't and that's often the years where it's like the toddler years where they're putting things in their mouth, they're at daycare, they're being introduced to bacteria and bugs for the first time so they're building their immune system and I've just come to the point where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to keep offering the vegetables but I'm actually just going to keep hiding so many vegetables (laughs) in the meals to keep getting it in him because yeah. I, I find I'm watching like toddlers and stuff and I'm like, it can actually be years before kids choose to actually want to eat vegetables. And I think like that's a very long time to wait for their choice to kick in.
1: Yeah, but no, that's such a great approach, you know, adding vegetables into soups and things where you know that they'll consume them, but still exposing them to the whole vegetables so they can identify, oh, that's what a carrot looks like, or that's what, you know, so that's a really great, uh, it is a balance, there's no, you know, often we look at it very black and white, like you either do this way of introducing food to your kids or that way, but it really has to involve you know, a balance of different things. So I think that's a really great approach. And yes, so many things, you know, you can put so much into a soup or a smoothie. If you blend things up, you know, such an easy way to get a lot of variety into a child and, and especially of those really key prebiotic rich vegetables, which they otherwise might not reach for.
0: Yes, I love it. All really like easy things. And the one thing I've always loved about your approach. And when I've re- recommended you to so many people, honestly, the first thing people say to me is, is she going to ask me to go and buy 15 supplements? And I'm like, actually, she is not like that <laughs> at all. To be honest, all of my consultations with you, yes, we have probably had to buy maybe three things. Yeah. Mostly it was like two and it was very specific specialized the things that we bought. So we weren't playing mystery games because it was recommendations based on the exact results of the store. So I wasn't buying five or six different types of probiotics. I bought one specific type of probiotic and it was actually so cheap. I think it was like $15. Like it wasn't even like the next level expensive one. Everything you do is like elimination of the things that feed the bad bacteria and foods that increase the good bacteria and like you actually keep it so simple that anyone could do it on any spectrum of health whether they've just found out about these things for help or they've been into the health space for 10 years so I always love that your advice is actually quite applicable and not overwhelming for an everyday yeah. mum
1: <laughs> yeah it's really using food as medicine you know that's the most powerful powerful thing we have in our our arsenal of tools for our health is is the food that we eat. So yeah, food is medicine is pretty amazing.
0: So there's going to be different types of mums and different parts of the journey. There's going to be mums that have had kids that have needed to use antibiotics once and they're, they've probably recovered quite fine and they're picking up some great tips and wanting to implement some of the different types of food you recommend. Then there's going to be another type of mum that's probably had to use antibiotics maybe a couple of times this winter and maybe realising some of those situations it wasn't necessary, some was. And then there's also going to be mums where their kids have had to use multiple rounds of antibiotics and they're still feeling like they're constantly getting sick. It's extremely draining and anxiety causing, particularly for full-time working mums, but even stay-at-home mums that got many kids and it just feels like they just can't catch a breath. Which has been the case for so many women, particularly here in Australia, I found through this harsh winter. So what what are some of the telltale signs that maybe you see in some of your clients that are children that come and the mothers are feeling quite concerned that they're just not catching a break in their immune system? And like I've asked you this question before, where you've said catching a catching a flu or a virus, you know, four or five times without reprieve is actually really hard on the immune system. And there actually needs to be breaks in between to be able to recover, replenish, and to then be able to go again. And yeah, you've just said before how it actually really can take an effect long-term without Mm -hmm. that reprieve nonstop sickness. And yeah, just very stressful for parents.
1: Yeah. And really, if a child or a a parent, for that matter, is on this kind of, you know, roller coaster of viruses, just back to back. That is often a sign that there is an imbalance with the gut because 70 to 80% of the immune system is actually located in the gut. So, if you have compromised gut flora, compromised gut health, you're going to have a compromised immune system. So, often the first thing that I think about if I have a client who is constantly getting sick, I think, okay, this individual needs some work on their gut because their gut microbiome is probably compromised so that's where I'll often recommend I mean I, I'm a big advocate of testing rather than guessing so that's where I'd recommend a microbiome test for example which you did of course as well but that that is a big expense unfortunately they're not covered by Medicare so if that's not within the budget there's still a lot we can do but definitely if someone's constantly getting sick the red flag is we need to work on their gut because that's you know, where the majority of the immune system is, and that's what regulates the immune system. So That's where, you know, if we do specific testing, we can find what strains of probiotics, if any, are going to be most beneficial, what dietary strategies specifically would be most beneficial if there needs to be any use of antimicrobials, for example, if there's an overabundance of certain microbes. But if the budget doesn't allow for the testing, there's still a lot you can do dietary wise. And and it kind of comes back to what I was mentioning about particularly trying to weed out those opportunistic species. And, you know, I often refer to the gut as being like a garden. And and I often encourage parents to talk to their kids about this. And, you know, a healthy garden has an an abundance of beautiful flowers and plants and trees, whereas an unhealthy gut garden is is full of, of weeds. And so in within the gut, you know, if you have a healthy gut, it's full of beneficial bacteria and there's not a lot of opportunistic species or weeds that are thriving there. But if you have an unhealthy gut, it's it's mostly all weeds. And so we need to get rid of those weeds. And the number one thing that feeds those weeds or those bad bacteria in the gut is sugar and carbohydrates. So it's really key to strip that back. And we need to inoculate the gut with more beneficial bacteria. So it's like planting seeds. And that's where fermented foods are really important. And a great way, you know, if your child has never had any fermented foods, something like kefir, you can get that dairy-based or you can get that coconut-based. And using that in a smoothie with, you know, some berries or something just to soften the sourness if your child's not used to sour foods. So doing a, a kefir in a smoothie is a great introduction or a little bit of sauerkraut and a great way to start sauerkraut is for example grating a little bit of apple or some carrot or both then adding a little bit of sauerkraut in that grated apple and carrot so it's like a little salad and you gradually decrease the apple and carrot and increase the amount of sauerkraut so that's a nice way to introduce it which is quite kid-friendly but there's also coconut water kefir or normal water kefir which you know you can again add in a smoothie or, you know, add some strawberries or lemon or lime or mint or all sorts of different things to kind of jazz up the flavor. So introducing fermented foods is a great way to inoculate the gut. But if that's really challenging, then a probiotic, a broad spectrum probiotic would be helpful. And there's lots on the market. One that's actually got quite a lot of research behind it is one that is from the US. It's a little more expensive, but it's called Seed double ed and they've released a children's probiotic it's from three years and over but that's got a lot of science behind it that's quite a good one but there's also you know the bioceuticals baby biotic which is readily available which is appropriate for for infants as well so there's some good you know multi-strain probiotics in the market if fermented foods are challenging and then of course it's really important to feed those good bacteria so that's like you know fertilizing the the garden so the flowers really thrive and that's where those prebiotics come in so it's kind of this weed feed weed seed and feed approach that you can implement at home and again just step by step you can start by you know if your child has rice bubbles or cocoa pops or something for breakfast which is very high in sugar and carbs which is really going to fuel those opportunistic species you can start by just looking at breakfast and what can we swap this to that might be more beneficial for the good bacteria so something like an oat porridge or a birch muesli for example you know so you can just look at one meal or one snack at a time and make those changes and that's really going to be very helpful for supporting the gut and then there are you know of course other nutrients that are really important for gut health like zinc many children don't tend to to love foods that are rich in zinc, like organ meats and oysters and red meats. So sometimes it can be helpful to take a zinc supplement. Vitamin A and D are really important. So of course, the best way to get vitamin D is having sun exposure, obviously not to to the point where you're burning, but just being outdoors in the sunshine for periods of time. Otherwise, something like a cod liver oil, which is a whole food source of vitamin A and D is great for the gut. And then of course, all those foods that really Nourish the gut lining because that's that other variable, the closely related variable, like the bacteria that is important for overall gut health. And that's where bone broth is just such an amazing food. And again, adding it to soups, adding it to smoothies, there's lots of ways, creative ways you can get that in. So You know, it really is taking that food as medicine approach again, but but with very specific foods, cutting out the the foods that feed those bad bacteria and trying to introduce as many of the foods that feed the good bacteria.
0: Yeah, wow. And I feel like, you know, we came and saw you when, oh, my son was just over. One year, so still like really in his early stages, and I've been following most of your food philosophy for baby's first foods, like we talked about on the pod, the last podcast together, and I can really see the difference in like his immune system and his gut health by introducing that food philosophy very early. And, you know, he loves sour tasting things now, like he loves the krauts, he was having the livers, all those things became very normalized. And Mm -hmm. I can see now how it even coming into those toddler years, being in a daycare, you know, he's very the kid that puts everything in his mouth, like all the time, like they're the, they're (laughs) the kids that normally get like, you know, really pick up all the germs and stuff. But I can really see putting in the time and effort because it is a time and effort it it is more effort to to choose those foods in many situations and not by the packet things and the process things so i i totally get it it's a time and effort but i have seen the reward of that in his in when he does then have spurts of wanting to have like you know the sugary things or you know the naughty things because he's a kid. I find Mm -hmm. he recovers really quickly from it because the basis of his gut and his kind of diet is lots of vegetables, lots of slow-cooked meats, all the things that you're talking about. So, yeah, for me that's just been, like, really comforting. But also for any mums that are out there knowing that their kids maybe didn't introduce into food that same way or have that same food philosophy and they've literally just felt like they've just lifted the cap off this wealth of knowledge, like, whoa no one ever told me this and the truth is no one is talking really about it like that's not what you learn in your postpartum that's not what you learn when you go to the hospital like that's not always what you learn at the mom group so this is like it should be it's ancient knowledge but it should be more modern day knowledge and we're getting there but the truth is starting now as soon as you've had the revelation as soon as the knowledge has come into you to just start making those changes and actually you'll start to see your kids immune systems turn around there can be quite a good change like I felt like you can see change in like at least within six months Mm -hmm. and definitely within a year you're seeing radical change and you completely can turn around the course of your children's future immune system um, and not be the one that's always calling your boss for sick leave and not feel like you're always the one that's kids getting sent home for daycare. And they do have a robust immune system that can get a little cold and recover in a couple of days rather than feeling like it takes them out for two to three weeks. Yeah. So I just feel like everything you've shared gives people so much, well, particularly
1: parents, so much hope. Yeah, that's the empowering thing, you know, especially when it comes to our gut. But our health overall, we can do so much to just... No matter what you've what state of health you've come from or your children have come from, you can do so much to transform your health. And it doesn't have to be all at once. And I often say to clients, and when I'm doing podcasts, you know, even if you just make one change a week, one dietary change or one lifestyle change a week, that's 52 changes in a year, which is a life change for most people. It can mean the difference between Uh, you know being ill and being healthy but you know between constantly getting those colds and flus every year and you know getting through the winter seasons in a breeze it it really is amazing the difference you can make if you put in the time and energy but as I said you don't need to do everything all at once because that can be very overwhelming and for a lot of kids they they wouldn't go from having their current diet to then suddenly having lots of vegetables it's a step by step process and it's really about exposing kids as much as possible to different foods and you know the best way to get kids to to be open to eating more foods is to model model the way you want them to eat yourself by having lots of those foods and getting kids into the kitchen and even from a young age you can you know get kids helping and i find a really good way to you know, encourage kids to you know, try new foods is when they're helping out in the kitchen, for example, say you're making a bolognese, get them to put in a mystery ingredient and not tell anyone else in the family. And then everyone else at the dinner table has to guess the mystery ingredient that they put in. And, you know, kids usually get really excited because they're so involved and they know the mystery ingredient. And it's usually, you know, I usually encourage parents to give a selection of ingredients that the child normally doesn't, eat so if they don't like mushrooms or spinach try to get them to put that as the mystery ingredient and that way you can make you know the challenge really fun for kids it's not about oh you have to eat your vegetables and you know it's, it's just about exposing them to those things those different foods and and the just the the joy that can come with that making art you know painting with carrot sticks or making little vegetable insects and you know those are ways that you can really expose your kids more to these vegetables which is the, the main food group that kids are not so keen on and enable them to really optimise their gut by having those foods in their diet.
0: You're speaking my language. My whole face lit up <laughs> when you started talking about this stuff because I... I've obviously launched my course. One of the things that I really was so passionate about my course is actually bringing joy back to the home. And I feel like so many women dread the kitchen. It's become a very negative place that you're driving home from work or you're finishing a big day of of being a stay-at-home mom or working and you just think, Ugh, I've got to go into the kitchen I don't know what to cook and it's becomes a very negative place and everyone actually feels that whether you're a, a woman cooking or a man cooking vice versa and I have a toddler now and I've even literally invested in one of those you know those helping stools where they go inside so they can stand oh, at the bench and do right. everything he is obsessed he's obsessed with cooking yeah. his palate has extended exceptionally from being involved in yeah. what we cook. He wants to try things that he cooks. There's this liberation and empowerment that's come in the kitchen for him helping make his food and actually eating what he prepares as opposed to just having a plate placed on the table and just enjoying the whole process and yeah. another thing I really love is letting particularly I mean your kids are older they love this I mean my son's probably a little bit too young still but it's actually letting each kid pick from like a menu of your family favorites and they actually get to pick what meal they're having on that night. You know, maybe their favorite is like a, a burrito bowl or something like that. I'm just whatever. Yeah. And they actually help that night with making it and serving it and they're really proud. And it's like, well, I got to pick what we're having tonight and then the next night the other child gets to pick from this selection. Yes. It's your family like, favourite. Um, I just like it brings this this just joy. Like there's so much excitement and fun to have in the kitchen. I think if you grow up with the kitchen being a very joyful, happy, wow. wholesome space, food becomes very positive and you really... That's- embrace what you're eating and it's really exciting but when it goes the other way yes food can have a very negative feel to it It, there can be a lot of tantrums around food you dread it and yes I just love that you I love that you brought all that like really on my heart at the moment not to lose the traditions of cooking together as a family
1: Yes, absolutely and now unfortunately family sitting down for family meals at the dinner table which was still Pretty much the norm when I was growing up is actually not no longer the norm. And it's really not only affecting fussy eating in children, but it's also affecting mental health. I mean, they've shown that if teenagers eat their dinners at with the family at the table rather than sitting behind their computer, it actually has been shown to help reduce anxiety and depression. So, you know, there's so much, there's so many studies supporting this, but we don't really need studies to support it. It's just kind of, you know common knowledge really isn't it when you're sitting and having a meal with your family it, it you just feel great if you keep the conversation happy and light it's just it's it's something that we've been doing for eons and something that we really need to prioritize but unfortunately it it is you know falling by the wayside so it's something definitely even you know i often recommend my clients even if you can just pick two or three days to all eat together and then kind of build from there that's a really great place to start
0: oh well as you know, I could talk to you on and on and on and on and on in the depths of ancient wisdom and all of this sort of stuff. But I feel like, yeah, I feel like you've given the listeners a lot to unpack, some really great takeaways. But of course, you know, always my biggest advice, if any mums feel like that they're toiling over their children's health for more than just like a month or two, like it feels like it's going on and on and on and actually causing ongoing stress and anxiety in the home or, you know, it just doesn't feel like they're getting better after four or five months of being sick from daycare. You know, I know you mentioned it can be a bit expensive for the, the stool test, but I, for me, it was like priceless because it just took literally all the stress out of our home. It set my son up for the biggest win for his future we we really didn't get affected this winter and I felt like that groundwork we took with you and put that time in for that two months really prepared him for so much that was ahead that we actually did not know was coming so I just think for like the future of your children even the own sanity of parents just because sick children is just very draining it's just so worth coming and getting a consult with you getting a stool test sent off and i feel like literally within the follow up consultation you've actually created a very steady consistent plan that actually is a lifelong just wellness kind of approach that you can continue and i haven't even needed to come back to you about my son He's just continued <laughs> on with a beautiful diet and it it it's just so worth it is what i'm trying to say and parents don't have to sit and be stressed and keep going back to the GP and feel like they don't have answers, a stool test literally tells you like, <laughs> everything you need to know basically and you just get on with it and you solve the yeah. problem and you just start enjoying life again. So yeah. yeah, obviously I'll put in the show notes, your website, people can get on your waiting list to see you. I know you're quite busy, but I just feel like it's so worth it for just being happy parents. <laughs>
1: yeah and you know it. there is so much you can do and that's the most important thing that people realize that you know ill health is doesn't have to be long term it, it, it you you can transform your health at any age at any stage no matter what how many causes of antibiotics you have had or how bad your diet's been and that's that's the really wonderful thing, you know, our bodies, they just want to thrive and they're capable of restoring things if we just give the right, you know, building blocks to, to achieve that. And the gut is certainly, you know, it's the seat of our health. It's the, 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 the crux of, of, our, of the health of every organ system, really. So if we can address the gut and optimize the gut, we really do help optimize our overall health, both physical and mental
0: Thank you so much. I feel thank like you just you. always bring hope <laughs> and love and inspiration, and there always just seems to be a better path when we talk to you a more hopeful path. So I know there's going to be lots of yeah women that are going to want to get in contact or just re-listen to this a few times.
1: <laughs> so thank you again. I really appreciate oh, it. Uh, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. And yeah, hopefully people uh, got some good takeaways that they can implement at home. And yeah, thanks again.
0: Thanks for being here for another episode on living the abundant way. I hope you are leaving a little more empowered, lighter, and inspired to create a small step of change for a more wholesome life, that you're wildly capable of being a homemaker, wife, mother, and entrepreneur. I pray this episode leaves a little nugget in your heart, and I would love to hear from you. Like, I genuinely mean I'm the testimony queen. Testimonies reveal that it can be done again. I'm also here to listen and support you in life's journeys. And if you have a moment, could you please subscribe and leave a review? It would mean the world to me. Now, don't forget to claim your bonus home transformation breakthrough call with me. During our complimentary time together, I can take a deeper look at the missing links that are causing you stress around your home. See the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to chat with you.